Welcome, welcome to The Sharp Way. I'm Larry Sharp, your host. Happy to have you here yet another Monday evening, 8 to 10. Even during Christmas holidays, I am here to chat with you, to take your phone calls. And I have an amazing guest host with me this evening. The one, the only, blood of my blood, my youngest daughter, Josephine Sharp. Yes, she is here, uh, probably playing half of her time on her iPad and probably hardly listening to her show at all, but I'm happy she's here. She has no school this week, so I brought her over so that she could watch Daddy do his thing. Hopefully, you guys will not embarrass me too much, but you probably will. It's fine. Speaking of daughters, this is a show that is often about communication, relationships, things just like that. I have a couple of daughters. One of the daughters that I have, um, she she had a boyfriend, and when she had a boyfriend, my one of my friends said, "You let her have a boyfriend," and I said, "As if I could stop her." And that, in a nutshell, is how I try to lead my life. I try to lead my life by saying, "I can't control you." So since I can't control you, why would I bother even even trying? I can't stop you from doing things. I can't force you to do things unless I actually use physical force so or threat of force. So why wouldn't I instead try to compel you through my own example, through argument, through influence, through conversation or something like that? making it in your best interest to act the way I would like you to act so that you won't do it yourself. I talk about that constantly. The more that I'm able to accept that I can't control, the more control I have over myself. And therefore, my example hopefully will have more control over you. That's the hope. And as a general rule, that's true. But that doesn't just count for me or for my daughter, or my wife, or my friends. It also counts for how I work in business. Leaders that I have, a leader that I am. Also, government, how government should work. This concept of accepting that you can't control people and instead trying to focus on what you can control and hoping they follow you by example and giving them the right ways of doing things is a better way, a way of creating an environment of success, an environment of what you want. Now, immediately I got a call right away. I don't know if I'm going to, I'm messing up here. So let me try right away. I'm going to go right to a call. I'll get back to it if the call is too crazy. I'm going to head over to New York, which New York is my place, and deal with Chris. Chris, how are you? Good, Larry. How's it going? What's going on, my friend? Uh, not much. Um, I wanted to bring up uh, a topic that was uh, kind of going around on Twitter. Uh, Uh-oh, this, this could days. be a bad so, thing if it's on Twitter. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's just... I wanted to use it to sort of frame a free speech question. So Okay, go ahead. Um, so there was a, a woman, I think she was in the UK, and she uh, she made some comments on on her social media about what she thought about trans uh, 
issues and gender and there only being two genders and such. Yep. And it got a lot of traction when J.K. Rowling picked it up and uh, supported her. And what actually had happened was her employer thought that the, the views were, uh, you know, un, unappro- inappropriate and fired her over it. And um, a lot of people in the libertarian side of things were kind of looking at that and, and trying to say um, that the courts should step in and stop her from being fired for saying something like that. But um, I thought that that was kind of people getting their wires crossed as libertarians because um, I thought we should be supporting the employer's right to actually make that decision. Um, so no, I what you're asking what is, your a, is a, it is, it's a very tough spot to be in, particularly because it's in the UK, right? The UK yeah. doesn't have the same, doesn't have a first That's amendment. Right, but I was just trying to use it in general to, to, you know, use the principle and have no, I, I get what you're saying. What so it becomes challenging in the UK because the UK doesn't have a first amendment, right? And their free right. speech laws or lack thereof, whatever you might call is, is a very different, you know, it has a very different background than ours, very different culture than ours. Um, in many ways, libel and slander are different in the UK. But if I take that to America and then just in general, there's an issue with right. America when it comes to free speech. Uh, and there's also an issue that it, that is just universal, right? Here's, the utopian view, right? This is not a real view of what our culture is. This is a utopian view. In a utopian view, right, in the perfect world, then you could say what you wanted to say. There would be no legal ramifications. There might be social ramifications and you might lose your job. And an employer could decide what they want to fire whom they want, whenever they want to, however they want to. That is, I get that, libertarian utopian world. That's not how the actual world works for several reasons. Number one, we in America specifically have hundreds of years of culture of state-sponsored segregation and Jim Crow and apartheid and whatever you want to call it. Hundreds of years of state-sponsored segregation, right? And I say that because if you literally – People say all the time, well, well, Larry, the government is what saved everything. And I would say, well, you know, they had to pass segregation laws in the South because if they didn't, we probably would integrate. So they literally had to pass laws to ensure yeah. we wouldn't integrate, right? So mm-hmm. that's so they had to make it to where it was a legal issue. Now, the legal issue then, by default, kind of moves into culture because because legally you can't do a certain thing under threat of violence or force or jail, then culturally that thing becomes bad or good depending upon what the government wants to make it because of what the laws have been. So when you have that, it's hard to say, you know what? If someone says, you know, I don't like black people because that was, of course, the biggest issue between black and white. I don't like black people, um, that there shouldn't be some repercussion. It's hard to say that because it feels so bad because of our culture and history. In a utopian world, everyone should be able to be as racist as they want to be, and and society would fix it over time. That's a great utopian world. It's just not the real world. The real world is we have expectations culturally over what you say and don't say, and our our code, our, our, our legal code, follows right along with that. So now, since I've given you this whole big picture view, let me give the specifics. If someone says uh, publicly they they there's only two genders, 
right? And then someone popular says this person's right or wrong, whatever the case may be, there will be social repercussions for that. I don't have a problem with that. I don't. I don't have a problem with there being social repercussions for speech that you say, whatever that speech might be. I really don't. In fact, that's normal and natural. And if, if, if a bunch of people don't like what you say, you might be ostracized. Freedom of speech just means you are free from legal ramifications. It doesn't mean you're free from social you know, consequences of what you say. So that's well, can I uh, comment on that real quick? Go ahead, please. Um, so yeah, sometimes I feel like there's, you know, obviously the the social consequences and freedom of association obviously should be, like you said, in an ideal world, um, you know, the the way that this is all sort of dealt with and and mm-hmm. officiated, for lack of a better word. But as always, I feel like uh, there's oftentimes. Um, a control on, of the speech often by the government that's sort of hidden from view and from the, the public conversation around it. And to, to sort of exemplify it, I'll use the Kaepernick example. Sure. Because that obviously gets a ton of, uh, a ton of publicity. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, people, you would think the principled free speech uh, person would say, okay, well, he has his right to speak. His employers uh, who have their pro- private property being the stadiums, have the right to uh, react to it in a certain way and to decide what they want to have there in their, uh, you know, private stadium. The problem is that you have each of these NFL stadiums that this is happening in are heavily taxpayer subsidized mm-hmm. to the point where, uh, you know, a they're basically a hybrid models. Speech, I get you. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. And a free speech purist might say, oh, well, you know, you can sort of start your own league that, uh, allows for a certain types of speech that you want, and then if that's what the public supports, then that's what will succeed. But, but no, look, but if we're talking you know, theory, then, hold on. If we're talking theory, I agree with the theory. I just don't agree with the practice. Because in practice, your point is like what you're talking about. There is a hybrid model mesh of government and private funds right. mixed together. You're totally correct. That That's why the reality of it, doesn't work. If you're asking me theoretically what I yes, believe, right, exactly. I, I'm a purist. Theoretically, I am. But in practice, there's no way I can be because we have screwed up our system so much. You don't just erase that overnight. You've got to back that out somehow over time. Mm-hmm. Right? That's just... Okay, it, great. I, and, my, and my main reason for bringing it up is because I would say that 90% of the most sort of heated conversation in this area loses the fact that we have this hybrid screwed up system yes. and doesn't actually acknowledge it. And so that's kind of, I hope that people that talk about it more can sort of enlighten people on that better. But again, I, I just want to make clear, I, I don't want to say that the, the purist is wrong. They're not wrong. They're not. I, They're I, I right. Purist. I want to live in that world. Correct. Sure. Like, I, I'm 100%. in. They're right. I don't want to fight them and say they're wrong because they are right. I'm just saying I have to know where I am now and where can I go. Right. Right? Where can I go? Yeah. Yeah. So this, that's what I wanted to talk about. This actually does kind of flow into what I was talking about, right? If, if I want this environment to go that route, right? If I want to change the culture to go that route, I can't force it. It doesn't work. I can't just go, that's it. Everyone's free to do whatever they want. Anyway, that There would be chaos because too many people, to your point, not only is this... Not only is this, is this mixed, 
also you have a bunch of people who believe in their heart that it is government's job to walk in and regulate this. They believe there is no better arbiter, there is no better referee than some bureaucrat to, to, to do this. And if they believe that, how do you stop that overnight? I first got to get them to understand that government's monopoly. Government was the problem, you know, a, a, after after the Civil War. You know, the, the governments are, are, are not always the good guy. And if I can't get them to believe that, then trying to go any further is irrelevant. And, and the more that they want to control sort of the social media gatekeepers, you know, calling uh, Mark Zuckerberg in front of Congress, as much as they do, that's sort of them trying to take the back door to being that arbiter while then giving their defenders the position to say, well, it's, you know, you can't control what private pe- private interests do. But anyway. But here's the of- worst part of it all. And some to remember, I say it often, and I wish more people would get it. People who are afraid make bad decisions. That's how it works. And that's across every culture, every group of people, all time. When people are afraid, they make bad decisions. When you pull the rug out from underneath people, they become afraid. They make bad decisions. They don't make things better. They make things worse. So we can't just do that and say culture shock because when we do culture shock, people get afraid. And all of a sudden, things get worse. Anyway, I hope that answers your question. Yep, it does. I just want the principles to be as clear to everyone as possible. That's all. Absolutely. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Thanks, Larry. All righty. Have a good night. Um, I'm going to stay on the phones for a bit. I got a couple, so I want to stay on the phones. I'm staying in New York, but this time I'm heading up to uh, to Buffalo. going to talk to Clayton. Clayton, how are you? Oh, not too bad yourself. I am surviving every day, trying to make the world a better place. It doesn't always work, but I keep trying. But today I did. Today I was part of a team that got a guy out of jail today. So, yes, today I made the world a better place. All right. Um, so I was wondering what you, it's actually a two-parter, but I was, one of it, so I was wondering what do you propose to do about gun laws? Wow, is that a generic question? Okay, uh, (laughs) sure. Um, I'm assuming you mean in New York State, since I ran for governor, is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Um, I actually had an entire plan for, for uh, gun laws, and this kind of goes back to our last caller. A lot of people want gun laws in New York State to be very relaxed immediately. Things like constitutional carry and and stuff like that and reciprocity with other states. And most people don't know that New York is one of the worst gun states in the union, in the entire country. I don't know if most people don't know this. If you take your firearm and you're flying your air, an airplane and you're, tr- and you're stopping over in um, JFK or in LaGuardia, and I want to be clear, you purchase this firearm legally, you own it legally, you follow every single TSA guideline, every one of them, you then stop off and they happen to check your luggage because your flight's delayed and they find your firearm, once again, legally owned and following every TSA guideline, you will go to jail. That's how New York City works. Not just that, in New York State, that the... A a definition of a loaded weapon in New York State, a loaded firearm in New York State, is ammunition in the vicinity of the firearm. 
So literally, on one table is the unloaded firearm. Magazine not even in the in the firearm. Assuming you you've got a semantic weapon, right? Um, and on the other on the other table is a box in the box magazine. I mean, in the box ammunition. That's a loaded weapon in New York State. Now, well, fr- also, if you shoot somebody who breaks into your house, you go to jail for murder. Yeah, uh, thank you. We don't even have. We don't even. We, we don't even use the castle doctrine officially. We're a castle doctrine state, but we don't even use that. So what I'm saying is, I just want to start turning the state around. And there are a couple simple rules I want to do. And one, by the way, even though I lost the election last year, is still being put into play. The first one was I just wanted to encourage all law enforcement, as the governor, encourage all law enforcement that enforcing the SAFE Act, which for those who don't know in New York, is is an anti-gun legislation act, the SAFE Act um, in New York State, that enforcement of that is the absolute lowest priority. Like if your nose is full of boogers, pick your nose first. Like that. That is what I'm talking about. That's more important. Blow your nose. That's more important than enforcing Safe Act laws. Do that, and all of a sudden we realize it's not being enforced. No change. We can eventually move towards a repeal. That's part one. But that isn't enough. Second thing, I wanted I to mean, make it. I, I'd love, to, I'd love to see gun laws like there are down in Kentucky. That yeah. Let me get. Let me get where I'm going, my friend. I like what you're saying. I'm saying that's not New York. That's just step one. Step two. I wanted to make it to where literally that just universal transportation laws. That's it. Just saying that if any county in New York State, no matter what, if your if your firearm is unloaded and it is locked. You can transport it into any county you want. And loaded definition becomes bullets in the gun. I know it sounds crazy, but that's what I want the definition to be, bullets in the gun. Are bullets in the gun? Yes, loaded. Are bullets not in the gun? No, not loaded. Just do that first. Now, if other counties want to have less stringent laws than that, no worries. But that's your baseline that everyone has to follow. We don't even have that in New York State. Lastly, I just want to make New York State turn in when it comes to uh, pistol permits away from a may issue to a shall issue state, meaning that if in 90 days you do not get an answer to your pistol permit, it is granted. And if they tell you no, they may tell you no. But if they do tell you no, they must give you a reason why, which they don't right now, and an appeal process, which they don't right now. Just do that, my friend. Then let's move towards Kentucky. I'm just saying make those three things happen first, then we'll be okay. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, uh, you have time for uh, another quick question? Go ahead. What's going on? Um, I was wondering what you think about the whole new green light bill. The what? The, the green light bill or something like that, giving illegals driver's license and... Oh, giving illegals driver's license. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Look, we have a serious immigration issue because the federal government won't get its act together. So now you have local states trying to come up with ways of making the their their roads safer because of a federal problem and the federal government's mad at them. I don't have a problem with New York State in theory. And I'm going to go back to my last uh my last um caller, theory versus practice. Theory and practice. In theory, I don't have a problem with it. The problem is in practice, it becomes grossly unfair. 
Now, in theory, if you're going to if you're going to actually treat driver's license like you should, which is, it's you you sh- it shouldn't be thought of as a privilege. The idea that driving is a privilege is silly. It's it's dumb. We have a right to travel and get around. And unless you've done something that proves you shouldn't have a driver's license for some reason, the state should not be stopping you. It's silly to even think of it that way. If if the government wasn't thinking of it that way to where it was much easier for people to actually get licenses and the government wouldn't take them away from Americans for anything. You you get to any parking tickets, license gone. You don't pay your child support, license gone. You do something else wrong, the government doesn't like you, license gone. We remove, we revoke hundreds of thousands of licenses just in New York State every single year, forcing Americans, citizens, to drive without licenses. If you can't pay your ticket, license gone, boom, done. Forcing New Yorkers to not be able to drive and get around and travel freely. And then you're going to say, here, undocumented worker, here's a license. That feels wrong. That is wrong. However, there's big however. The concept of allowing people who are here to have driver's licenses so you have a better chance of them not getting accidents, a better chance of them having insurance, not screwing somebody over, a better chance of them being better trained drivers, a better chance that if they get into an accident, they actually call emergency services and someone doesn't die because they're taking off and hitting an accident. I love that idea. No problem with that. But let the federal government have a better way of controlling the, the, the immigrations and the, and the immigrants into our states so that they don't have to be undocumented or illegal and don't treat driver's licenses for the average American who is a citizen like you're doing them a favor by giving them a, a driver's license. Does that make sense? Yes, but what I'm having a hard time understanding is, is in New York State, let alone the United States of America, a driver's license is a form of identification. Yes, correct. So, in that aspect, being being the U.S. citizen with a driver's license is a form of identification that you're a U.S. citizen. Yes, correct. So, if you're giving a legal driver's license, how does that? How do you decipher who is a legal? U.S. citizen who is not. No, it's therefore it's, accounting for jobs and whatnot. I completely agree, and and here's the here's the 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 issue we have. I've taught that immigration for years, but I focused more on it this year than before because the election was over, and now I could focus more on national issues versus local issues. Immigration's the problem. Giving driver's license to undocumented workers—that's a symptom of the immigration problem. Right. So if the government won't do anything about immigration, the states and the cities don't have much of an option. And for you, I don't know. You're in Buffalo. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah. I'm in New York City. In New York City, we literally give out ID cards to undocumented. Like you, uh, you can just go to our city office and show who you are undocumented. Just say, um, this is who I am. I came from this country. They will give you a New York City ID card. So you have picture ID. We are a sanctuary city, period. We are this already. And that's not getting less. That Moore's is becoming that. Why? Because immigration problems not being solved. And I know people get upset. Why are they illegal? Yes, and it's not going to change if we don't fix the system. Allowing New York City to survive with the massive amount of immigrants it has, and many of them undocumented, we can't survive as a city without them. 
So we can either make a system to where we can document them before they get here, or cities are going to do what they're doing. This goes back to my idea of controlling, trying to control the cities. You're not going to be able to. Are you telling me the uh, the immig- we're going to get uh, ICE to start cracking down in a city of 8.5 million people when the city itself will not assist in any way, shape, or form? When the cops won't assist? When the citizens won't assist? No one's going to assist them? It's impossible. You'd have to basically invade New York City. Not going to happen. You've got to create a better environment so that New York City doesn't do that. Other states are going to follow. I know for some of my more conservative friends, it's going to drive you crazy when I say it, but I'm just telling you the truth. This is going to happen. We've got to make a better environment. What is your answer, Larry, talking trash? Here's my answer. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Two Ellis Islands built on the borders of a southern border, either maybe Texas, California, you create two Ellis Islands right there. What does that mean? If you have a, if you want to come to a country legally, no worries. Go to the Ellis Islands, right? You want to come? Great. You show up there. I've showed up at the Ellis Island. Awesome. We check you out. Are you some gang member? Are you some bad guy? Do you got some disease, whatever? You don't? Great. What state are you going to? You get a temporary work visa. Two-year temporary work visa. What state are you going to? Great. That's the state you're going to. Goodbye, go. We got you. Go off and do your thing. The states take you. If a certain state says, I don't want it, great. You can opt out, state. You don't have to do it. Other states will say yes, and you go to those states. Lots of states will happily take them, right? So the states who want them take tons of them. I'm not not done yet. In that two-year period, they are not eligible for any form of public assistance at all. If they get any form of public assistance, they have to check in every two years. When they check in, did they have public assistance? They did. Deported. They didn't. Awesome. Do you want to stay for two more years? You do. Renewed. Renewed every two years if you want to stay as long as you weren't on public assistance. What does that mean? You are still paying taxes but not getting public assistance. You're basically paying to work here. I'm okay with that. I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. But not just that. You can actually take every two years. We can decide as a nation how do we give them a pathway to green card or pathway to citizenship or pathway to permanent status or whatever we think is appropriate. They've got to keep checking in. And this is a separate system from those Ellis Islands so the people who've come in legally already are not affected. They still go through their own piece so no one else is, no one jumps the line. It's not unfair. And we can pick whatever we want. Do, we have to, do they have to learn English? Do they have to learn our government or whatever it is? Pass a test, uh, have a job with a certain amount of money. Whatever the issues are, we can bring them through. Some people don't want to be citizens. Some don't want to have green cards. They just want to work and that's all they want. Awesome. They work until they're done. Go back to your country. Life is good. Those who want to stay have an opportunity to stay. But I'm still not done, my friend. This is a big issue, and I got to cover a lot on this. That's the first piece. Second piece, people who are already here, there are about 12 million undocumented people here in the United States, give or take. I mean, we don't know exactly, but in that area. We physically can't go after them now to get them. We don't have the money, the time, the resources. It is impossible. But if we said instead, come to the Ellis Islands from wherever you are, Come, be legal, we'll give you your your two-year visa, go back to work. Most wouldn't do it, but there's always a a small amount of early adopters. In this case, say half a million decide to do it. So half a million out of the 12 million decide to do it. They go back to Ellis Island, and they come back. They go back to their communities, and they go, hey, I'm no longer afraid of blackmail. 
I no longer have to worry about Pablo the bad guy. I don't have to worry about my boss being bad to me. Why? Because I'm legal and I pay taxes. And when bad stuff happens, I can call the cops. I'm legal. I'm paying taxes. The rest of the people look around and go, huh, really? They didn't deport you? Nope. Then some of them go. And slowly over the course of years, all those 12 million start to go. Now, some won't. Why? Because some are bad guys. Some are MS-13 guys. Some are cartel guys. Some are like terrorist bad guys. There's bad guys in those 12 million. They obviously won't go because they'll get deported. But now as all the rest of them begin to go, we can actually find the bad guys. Why? Because right now we can't because most of those bad guys are in undocumented illegal communities. So when law enforcement goes to get them, everybody runs. No one helps because they're going to get deported. But all of a sudden, now these people are legal. They're not going to get deported. So when all of a sudden law enforcement says, where's bad guy Pablo? He goes right there. There he is. Go get him. And now we can actually get the bad guys. We can actually get the bad guys out of our country now that we can't get now. Cheaper, faster, more efficient. Now you might say, but Larry, how are we going to pay for this? That is an amazingly great question. And it's the best part. The two Ellis Islands are owned by two separate organizations. Why? So they can compete. If they're good and efficient and work, more people go to either one of those. Awesome. Not just that. There are literally thousands of farmers, hotels, uh, concierge services, cleaning services who are paying thousands of dollars in the black market to get workers to come to their, company, their uh, companies. Stop playing the black market. Just pay Ellis Islands. Pay them. You want a bunch of uh, workers? Awesome. I got you. Go right here. Write a check. We'll get you a bunch. They get paid by how they service people. Larry, that doesn't happen. Yes, it does. It's called literally recruiting companies, staffing agencies. It's how they get paid. So basically, those two organizations become two massive staffing agencies. Oh, no one has to pay. No taxpayer, I'm sorry, has to pay for it. They're self-funded. If they suck, then they fail. Someone else picks them up and they compete against each other and get better and better and better. But Larry, wait. There are still bad people who want to come across the, the border. Yeah. And what will happen? We still have Border Patrol. Just as hardly any people crossing the border because they're going to the Ellis Islands so they can focus out in the desert and catch the bad guys trying to cross. They will be more effective. And here's the best part. Now you have things like people who are coming out of Mexico or Guatemala or some country down south. They're starving or dying or, or dehydrating in the deserts. That won't happen anymore because if you're not a bad guy, you go to the Ellis Island. But if you are a bad guy, you might starve or die in the desert. Which sucks. I don't want anybody to starve or die in a desert. But if someone has to, let it be a bad guy. If it's got to be somebody, let it be them. Then they starve or die in a desert. So we start doing all of that. You will watch. There will be no need to give e uh, driver's licenses to illegals because there won't be hardly any illegals. And these people can compete with everybody here in the market. Now, I know that's a massive plan. However... It's the right plan that can work over time. Does that make sense at least? Oh, it makes sense. I just had one question about that that kind of stood out to me. Go ahead, please. Now, I understand that a lot of a lot of illegals aren't necessarily coming over here for the welfare benefits because mm -hmm. there, there are a, a lot of illegals that do come over here just to make a little more money than they are back home. Mm -hmm. But... 
like I said, there are a lot of illegals that come over here seeking welfare benefits. Sure. So I know that you mentioned in there that you're not allowed to receive welfare benefits or any social service benefits, but there's still going to be those few that aren't necessarily bad guys, but they're still trying to get over to the country to receive benefits. What do you intend to do on that yeah, aspect of it? Absolutely. And the, and the rule here becomes, I mentioned, they have to check in every two years, right? If they don't check right. in every two years, deported. How can you find them? Because they'll be among legal people who will point them out and assist law enforcement, right? So that's number one. But now we go, we check. Oh, you're Jane Doe, whatever. We've given you a, a, a work visa, so you have ID. We'll look it up. Have you taken any public assistance? You have deported. Now, are you telling me some people will do it? Of course some people will do it. Some people will scam. And then when those people get booted, others will go, holy crap, you actually were serious. Yeah, we were serious. We will boot you out if you do it. Now, what will happen? Those who are doing it will then ask for amnesty, say, sorry, let me say, let me stop now so I don't get deported. If we're good and kind people, and I hope we will, if they come clean, say we were kidding, we're sorry, and stop, we should let them go back to work, no public assistance. You do it again, gone. Once we, they realize we're serious about it, they'll stop. But Larry, there'll be a year or two when people are scamming. There's decades of them scamming now. Literally decades, and no one's stopping it. My answer isn't perfect, but it's maybe one year, then they get caught. Way better than decades, which is what we have now, and there's no way of fixing it in sight. So you're right. There is a hole in my plan. It isn't the perfect plan. It is a way better plan. I don't think there is a perfect plan. Oh, absolutely not. No matter what you do, there's always going to be somebody sneaking through the system. Yep. The, the issue is if you have a system to where when they sneak through, we have the actual resources to do something about it. We're not overwhelmed. And people can see that we're serious. That will create an environment where people won't want to do it. And that's the whole goal. I don't want to punish the bad guys. I want there to be less bad guys. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. It's just the first thing we got to do is get rid of the governor who's the bad guy. <laughs> I completely agree. Yes, we do. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate talking to you. Have a great night. All right, you too. All right. I know I kind of went off topic again, but the idea is, as always, the more we try to force our answers, the less chance we start actually you know, ha being effective, right? It just gets worse and worse and worse. I want to create a better environment to have better results. All right. Let oh, me uh, let me see if I can grab my next call if I could. Uh, wow, this is a, a New York night. I got a bunch of New Yorkers calling in today. I'm talking to Michael from New York. Michael, how are you? Hey, good, good. What's going on? Uh, I wanted to ask you uh, what your position was on New York State's testing of hemp for THC compared to the federal government of THCA, which is a whole plant testing. So give, tell me what that means. You obviously have an issue. Well, oh, go ahead. No, no, tell me. You obviously have an issue. Tell me what that means to you. Uh, well, you see, to me it means that uh, the federal government uh, tests for THCA because 
the most useful part of the plant is the fiber. Sure. Which doing it the old way is a 10 to 15 foot plant. And uh, doing it any other way is just, I would, I don't know how you'd exactly say it, but it's the wrong way because, uh, because uh the right way is for poor people, for farmers, mm-hmm. for people that can actually use the stuff. Yes. And when you start doing things that the poor people can't use for free, which yep. is basically the federal government says you can do it for free. Yep. Um, then the poor people can't take advantage of the fact. And there's also so, wait a minute. So hold on one second. Are you are you telling me that New York State is creating a rule? That only the wealthy can benefit and the poor don't benefit. What? I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> well, Obviously, actually, I'm not shocked at all. I had a second part to that question. The first part was your opinion on one versus the other. The second part is if someone want a farmer want to grow hemp in New York State, uh, can't they do it for free? I mean, the federal government says you can do it for free. Uh, Look, why not? Let, let me give you my rule, my, my my idea on this and what's actually happening and what I think should happen. As I've said in the past, I think New York State will eventually legalize cannabis, hemp, everything in every way, shape, all of it when they are 100% sure they can make it to where the little small farmer is completely screwed and the big business guys win. When they can figure that out for sure, when they know that's how to work in New York State and there's no way that the small farmer can scam and get a piece of it, that is when they will then, that's when they'll actually allow it to be legal or regulated legal. The whole goal is if my cronies can't get a piece of it and old money can't get a piece of it, it's not valid. That's how New York State runs. I totally agree. Yes. So when that happens, it will work. In my eyes, I want to regulate all cannabis like a plant. I said onions. That was my whole thing during my campaign, right? Regulate like onions. But someone said, not onions, oranges, or whatever. I don't really care. what You pick the one. I thought onions was a good idea because it was interesting. People remember it. But really, if you want to pick another you know, plant, I'm good. Pick the plant. But regulate it like a plant, one that you could buy to your point that I could buy the seeds in my local store and plant in my backyard. And you know what? Harvest any way I want to harvest. It will happen in one instance. You guys elect me governor. When when the federal government makes it legal. Well, if if you elect me governor, then I'll make it legal that way. All the rest of the states will have to follow. Or the federal government will have to send troops into New York State. Either way, you know what happens when that happens? People see it. It's on TV, radio, internet, YouTube. And when that actually happens... what if the federal government wants it first? But that's my point. If I do it my way, either people have to see it or not. The problem with California, and you you brought up California more than once, and I love that you brought it up. I'm going to bring up a a quick story that I'm sure you know, but the audience may not. In in California, a lot of the legal uh, cannabis farmers got upset. Because there's still a black market in California. And there, in theory, shouldn't be, right? Because it's legal. Well, of course not. It's so regulated. It's so expensive that the people still go to the black market. So there are black market farmers in Northern California. 
So, of course, once that happened, these uh, the legal uh, farmers complained to the government, said, look, these farmers, you know, they're, they're black market, they're cheaper than us. You got to stop it. So, of course, California, being the progressive state that it is, immediately lowered the taxation so that everything could be fair. No, I'm kidding. Of course it didn't happen. That, that, that would actually make sense. Of course not. What did they do? They sent troops in to grab and destroy all of the of the small farmers' uh, crops and, I'm not making this up, hired a vendor to burn it. So they hired a vendor. The tax California taxpayer paid a vendor to burn that crop. So I, I get your worry, my friend. You are right. The government's right there. And what I'm saying is we got to find someone to be the vanguard of this so that people will notice well, this. Very few people well, know be- that story. Before you answer my question, I just got one more thing to say. Uh-oh. Uh, people are going in New York right now for CBD. Yes. And that should be done through the Compassionate Care Act, which was passed in 2014, like almost six years ago now. And uh, there can't be any other reason or anything for having a uh, separation between uh, uh, the medical use of the cannabis plant. There should be and there can't be any separation between CBD, THC, and hemp, which is really cannabis rudialis. Look, you're you're preaching to the choir, my friend. I'm in. I'm with you. Even back in 1776 or 1775, we were paying uh, hemp in taxes to the king of England. And I'm sick of doing it for the king of New York, Cuomo, right now. <laughs> right. And uh, another thing is. Yeah, come on, I, I got more people on the phone, man. In hemp. I, I, I okay. got more people on the phone. Thanks. I'm going to have to run. Well, what's your opinion? I told you, I'm on board with you, man. Which? THCA? Whatever the poor people get, I want. Yes. Yeah, federal THCA testing. That's what I want, my friend. Thanks a lot, Larry. Have a good one. All righty. It looks like tonight's a New York night. We're just staying in New York all night, which is fine. Hey, guys out of New York, I'll take any calls. So you don't have to just be in New York for this one. All right, I'm going to grab one more New Yorker. I'm going to be talking to Dan. Dan, how are you? You, man. Dan, are you there? Whatever the Did I miss you, Dan? One more time. All right, I think I may have lost Dan. Um Dan, if you are there, please uh call back if you're if you're there, please call back. I don't know. I think I think I've lost you. So I'm gonna grab uh right now I'm gonna grab someone from the uh from I think this is Twitter. Um, Michael says, so do you think that holding back the articles of impeachment is a constitutional violation? Shouldn't this and the fact that the six Dems running for president must be recused be a larger talking point? Thoughts? Two different pieces. I'll bring up both of them. Do I think there is a violation with the Democrats um, uh, holding back articles of impeachment? I actually don't. Um, I don't think it's a violation at all. I think it's 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 gamesmanship. I think that's true. It's them hoping and and playing. I think that's true. But I don't think it's a violation. I think impeachment 
is in the hands of the House. It's my opinion. And I think that conviction is in the hands of the Senate. So when it comes to the first piece, I don't think it's a violation. I know some people do. I don't. Um, shouldn't this and the fact that the six Dems running for president be a recused be a logical argument? Yes, yes, and yes over that one. Absolutely. If you're a Democrat running for president, that's an issue, right? You're literally running against Trump. It's kind of in your best interest that Trump get impeached. So I do get that part, and that should be a deeper conversation. At the same time, there are some Republicans who've said already, I'm not voting for it, and they haven't seen the trial yet. So I could see both of those sides. I could see the side of, of, of other people wanting to be recused. But then at what point do you make a recusal? For those of you who don't, may not get that, if someone is compromised in some way, someone who is predisposed to thinking a certain thing or caring about something or has some other interest at heart, they can say, I don't want to be part of this thing. That means they recuse themselves. They back away from this. They want to be a judge in this thing because they believe they are somehow compromised. So, Michael, I think you're completely right. The idea that you have Democrats who are supposed to be voting on this who are running for president, it should be a conversation. I don't know if they should be recused to be forward, but man, that's definitely a conversation. And if you have anybody, Democrats or Republicans, who are literally saying already before the trial, guilty, not guilty, any of those should be a conversation about recusing. I agree. And I, I think almost no one's talking about this, Michael. It's, it's a great it's a great point. Almost no one's talking. I mean, a couple people here or there, you hear it pop up, but that's a point that, I mean, how can you have a trial when the jury pool is completely tainted? How do you have a fair trial, right? If, if your goal is to actually give the president a fair trial, and that's what they're saying, if that's true, hard when you have a jury pool that's tainted like that. So it's a very valid point. I'm glad you brought that up, Michael. Thank you. I think we have Dan back, I think. Let me go check. Um, I think we're going to grab Dan from New York. He's also calling about impeachment. I guess it's also a p impeachment night. Dan, how are you? Hi, Larry. What's going on? Doing good. Doing good. Uh, just uh, listening to the show. Wanted to call in and talk about the impeachment sure. process that's going on. So uh, I know the House voted recently. Articles, they, they voted in favor of it. But do you think it's going to go anywhere in the Senate or no? Um, not at all. I mean, the, if in case some of you who may have been paying attention uh, to me and what I've been doing and most of what I've been talking about, I haven't talked about impeachment much at all. I talked a little bit during the the John McAfee interview because he uh, someone brought up uh, what he thought about it there too. But I don't talk about mm -hmm. it much. And the reason why I don't talk about it much is this is going to sound crazy. I don't think it matters much. I know you think impeachment of a president. It's critical. It's it's everything. I'm going to be the, the, the crazy guy here and say I don't think it matters much. I think we all know what – we all knew what was going to happen kind of a half a – you know, six months ago, right? I actually told a lot of people, I said, but the Democrats were purposely waiting until after the election because the polling data showed for many Democrats – that talking about impeachment and impeaching the president gave many Democrats an advantage in their individual districts. And they were waiting mm -hmm. until the actual voting day to see if the votes actually matched the polling. As we know, sometimes that doesn't happen. 
in this case, it happened. And once it happened, I told many people who were asking me, I said, the president's impeached. Guaranteed he's impeached. Because the Democrats did very well in 2019. So once they get, once the Democrats saw that, they're going to impeach him. But they're not, they're not impeaching him because they think he'll be removed. They're impeaching him because they know it will, they will do better in their own local districts by saying, I voted for impeachment. See? So that's going to help them. And I think it will help the Democrats in 2020 maintain the House. And I think that's the biggest reason for impeachment. Now, with that in mind, Republicans are no better. They don't care. They're like, okay, if, if I stand behind Trump, I do well in my district. So I'll stand behind Trump. And they stood behind Trump, right? The only Democrats who didn't uh, vote vote for impeachment basically were those who were in districts that were pro-Trump. So they said, oh, if I say, if I don't vote for impeachment, I'm in tr- I, I, I'm okay, so I won't vote for impeachment. And I think that's really what this is about. This is about reinforcing preconceived narratives already. The Senate is mm-hmm. not going to remove um, Trump. So what's going to happen? They're going to have some type of a trial where, and this is the most important piece, which I, some of you are going to be so mad at me. I'm just going to tell you the truth anyway. To where Republicans yep. and Democrats can have awesome sound bites that they can use during their campaigns. Because when they ask questions, if you have noticed, and both the Democrats and Republicans are both guilty of this. You start with, let me preach to you for two minutes and then ask some question that I already know the answer to. I yield my time. There's my soundbite for my commercial that I will now have in my district this year. And I think that's what this whole thing is actually about. It's about creating soundbites for commercials. It's about reinforcing stereotypes of what we already believe of each other. It's about strengthening preconceived notions. And why do I say that? Look at Trump's polling numbers for the past year, every month. They hardly change. They hardly change. Impeach him, don't impeach him, kind of impeach him, threaten to impeach him, actually impeach him. It's the same. The people who support Trump still support Trump. The people who hate Trump still hate Trump. I don't see much of a difference. So I know some of you are probably upset about that and want to take a stance on impeachment and blah, blah, blah. I just don't think it's that important. I'd rather talk about the things. Um, I think he's got impeached in the House and we knew that. I think he won't be removed in the Senate and we know that too. I think he's still running for president and we knew that. I don't know what's changed. He, he isn't all of a sudden, I'm a changed man. I'm going to change what I'm doing. That's not going to happen. So what do we care? Mm-hmm. He's the same guy he was. That's who. That's the guy we got. Vote for him or don't vote for him in 2020. Okay. Um, was that not what you wanted to hear? I, no, no, no. I just want to hear your opinion on it. Um, I think the thing is a waste of time because we, like you said, we knew it was going to happen. The Dems are going to vote for it. The Republicans are going to stick by him and fight tooth and nail to with him in the Senate, mm-hmm. and I thought what was very interesting was Tulsi Gabbard voting present, yep. and not taking uh, a favor or, or against it. So I wonder what this is going to do to her politically, because the Dems already hate her. Yep, the establishment Dems already hate. Her. So I don't. I don't. What do you think, Larry? Do you think she's going to get kicked out? Which party? Well, or- from what I understand, unless she's changed her mind, uh, uh, Gabbard is not running again for her congressional seat. 
So she's not running again. So she's basically thrown all in on this presidential campaign. She's all in. So either she knocks it out of the park here and, you know, Iowa comes up and she comes in first or second and blows everybody away. And we go, holy crap, what happened? Um, or she tanks hard in Iowa and she's got to start rethinking her career. I think one of those two things right. is what's going to happen, I think. But, you know, look, she's a soldier. She's an army officer. And, you know, she's she's done what good officers do. You commit to the mission and that's the mission. And that's what she's doing. So I respect her for that. Um, I think the president uh, is going to do one of two things. I think if she stays in the Democratic Party, it's going to haunt her horribly. Mm -hmm. Because Democrats, just like Republicans, wanted her to do to step to step in line, to be in line, right? Mm -hmm. She's the only present vote. So that's going to haunt her. Um, mm -hmm. However, if she happens to win the nomination, I don't know how, but if she does... If she happens with a nomination, she's just opened herself up to independents and Trump's and, and Trump supporters because she didn't vote mm -hmm. for impeachment. So she has opened herself up. It, so if she does win the nomination, she really has opened herself up to actually beating Trump because she may be able to get some voters who might have voted for Trump or might have a Republican may not like Trump. They might vote for her. Independents who might vote for her. She's opened herself up tremendously. So let me make a shameless plug. You know, there is a third party she can come looking if she wants to. It's called the Libertarian Party. Yes. I'm just saying, Gabbard people, if you're listening, I'm just saying I'm here. So, you know, if you, you, you can stop thinking about us, we may have to have some conversations on some of your issues and concerns. That's true. But we can see what we can do about that. So, yeah, that, that, that is, uh, that's where my, my head is there. Did I, did I answer your question? Well, of course you did. I just think that with her current course of action, they are going to drive her out of the party. And yes. She's not going to have a home, which I think the libertarians would be a good fit for her. But on top of that, yep. I, I don't think um, the, the way the, the current 2020 field is going, I, I honestly think the Democrats are going to nominate a hard left candidate because – I just don't think Joe Biden or Buttigieg are the answer to them because if the left, if the left is going to completely hijack this party, they, they want they want a progressive like Bernie or Warren. In there. Well, I don't, they, I don't they, know. They're, they're, this is this is my thought process here, and and again, a lot of people disagree with me on this, but I'm going to tell you what I think on this. Bernie's time was 2016. Before right. we saw what Bernie was all about, and when he was just cool Uncle Bernie and the rebel to to Hillary. That was his time. Mm -hmm. He had a chance mm -hmm. at beating Trump. I'm not saying it would have beat Trump, but he had a chance in 2016. In 2020, no shot. Not doing it. I Look, I live in New York City. I know New York City Democrats. And I know Democrats who've told me literally, if Bernie is the nominee, I'm voting Trump. Or they say, if Bernie's the nominee, I'm staying home. That's what I get from Democrats here in New York City. Not all of them, but enough of them. Enough of them that would hurt. Now, if New York Democrats think that, imagine what Michigan Democrats think and Pennsylvania Democrats think if New York City Democrats think that. So I think that while there is a percentage of the Democrat Party that wants to go far left, I think a lot of Democrats don't want to go far left. And they would rather have a Klobuchar or a Biden or a Buttigieg or someone like that. I think they'd rather have a, a, a moment of the road. 
take on top of that, look what happened in the UK, right? In the UK, yeah. the far left got its ass kicked. I mean, mm-hmm. horribly. The guy who can't comb his hair is the guy who just killed everybody. The guy can't comb his hair. And he is rocking and rolling over there in the UK because the guys are too far left. So I I think there's a loud part of the Democratic Party that wants it to go very left. But I don't think it's the majority. It's my opinion. I could be wrong. And I think if they go too mm. far left, I think you're right. And I think the, the, the powers that be in the Democratic Party, I think they see that. And the reason why I said it is two more things, if I could. I know I'm, I know I'm going right. long on you, brother, but two more things, uh, all in the same vein. One is, if you look at the Democrats who've won recently since Carter, most of them have been outsiders compared to the establishment, right? Clinton was an outsider. Obama was an outsider, right? Um, the, the, the Democrats win when they have outsiders. Car- uh, Carter was even an outsider compared to the others. I mean, don't get me wrong. They were still you know, insiders in theory as they were senators or governors, but compared to the party establishment, when the party establishment ran in Democrats, they lost, right? Kerry lost. Um, uh, uh, Hillary lost, right? The establishment lost. Songus lost. Uh, Mondale lost. These are all established Democrats. Mm. They lost. So I think Democrats will have a better chance to beat Trump if they have someone who is seen as an outsider, like a Buttigieg or a Yang even, or a Tulsi Gabbard, or even a Klobuchar, right? These are people who are seen as outsiders. Um, in 2016, Bernie was the outsider, which is why I thought he could have won. Most people who knew Bernie in 2016, not most, I'm exaggerating, a lot, had no idea what his policies were. They just knew he was the rebel. How do I know that? Because when Bernie dropped out, a good chunk, maybe 30% of Bernie supporters, voted Trump. Now, you would think if they knew policy, you don't go Bernie to Trump. You go Bernie to Trump because rebel to rebel. You don't understand. You don't care. My, my, my media chief from my campaign in 2018 I took him off the Vets for Bernie campaign. He went rebel to rebel. Mm-hmm. So I think the that style, I think, was what will change. Does that make sense? It does. So I, I don't see I don't see uh I don't personally see Bernie winning. Oh I, no, I, I don't agree. See his time his time's passed. Yeah. I don't even see him winning winning um, the nomination. I think the nomination goes to either Biden, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, one of those three. That's what I. That's where I think it goes. That's that's my that's my guess. Think, it's not wrong to think a moderate would do it. I just think that I was reading an article that Politico had, and with Michael Bloomberg in the race, it's because they think Michael Bloomberg is only in because they he doesn't think Joe Biden has a snowball's chance in hell. Yes, well, but. Bloomberg might get it too because Bloomberg can buy it and he is considered compared to the rest an outsider. Bloomberg could also do it. Yeah, I should add him. But and maybe Steyer. I mean Steyer could do it too, but I just I don't think they can win. Um but Bloomberg can just buy it. He can just say, How much does election cost? You said three billion. Hold on. Make that out to who? Right. He can- <laughs> He'll just write that check and that'll be the end of it. So I think Bloomberg hmm. could do it in theory. Is that good? Then yeah, of course. All right, my friend. I got a bunch of people on the phone I want to grab. Let me let you go. Hey, Larry. Have a good one. All right, guys, if you want to be in the program, I got tons of people on the line. I appreciate it. I will get more, but feel free if you want to call the program. I still have some lines open. 573 427 
888-825-5463. And if you like what you're hearing, it's exciting, interesting to you, you know what? Support the show. Throw me some cash. I'm sitting here tonight hanging out with my with my lovely daughter. She's playing where she's right here with me. Take a shot at my daughter real fast. Go ahead. Do Daughter's it. In- there we go. See, do it. She's telling you, do it. Give me the cash. Patreon.com slash Sharpway. Support the show so that we can keep this going. All right. I got so much New York tonight. It is absolutely New York night. I think I'm going to talk about separating uh, New York. That, that's an interesting one. I think I'll go there. Uh, I want to talk about separating New York. I'm going to New York. We're going to chat with Will. Will, are you there? Hello. Hello? Hey, Will. What's going on? Talk to me. Larry. Hey. hey. I voted for you, by the way, for governor. Too bad too many, there weren't more informative people here in New York. I agree with you completely. Yes. Okay, one question here. Well, I have two, but I'm going to go with this one first. What do you think about dividing New York into two different, I know it's come up in the assembly a couple of times, dividing it into two different states? Yes, I I'm hear that. I'm in upstate New York. I'm in, I'm in Washington County. So yes. I'm north of Rensselaer County and east of Saratoga and Warren County, right on the Vermont border. I know so where you I are, brother. The, I, I live 10 miles from, the, from Vermont. When I, go, when I drive 10 miles east of here and I'm in Vermont, I feel the freedom. It's funny, uh, of all the names people have given the upstate part of New York, the one I love the most still is West Vermont. That one I love. So it's <laughs> New York and West Vermont. That's upstate. Now, uh, yeah. That's funny. But no, the reality of it is that's not going to happen. And it's not going to happen because people think it's just New York City versus the rest. It actually isn't. It's all the cities. Buffalo votes blue, Syracuse votes blue, Rochester votes blue, Albany votes blue, Ithaca votes blue, and New York City. So they all vote blue. If we divvy up the state like that, eventually, that state goes blue too. The answer, yes, absolutely, because it's actually... He won 14 counties out of 62? Yes. Yes. And and eventually, the same thing happens up there. There's a deep connection between New York City and the rest of the state. Everything from water to energy to political monies to everything, a deep connection. It's not going to happen. I, I'm with you. I get the, the, the feeling and the worry. I do. I'm just trying to be realistic here. A realistic answer is the thing I talked about during my entire campaign. I'm doing my entire campaign tonight. This is my show. It's my campaign again. Uh, is my campaign, which is the idea. I appreciate you too. Uh, no. Thank you. It's the idea of Home rule, allowing local counties to have more control of their own budget, more control of their own money, ending uh, unfunded mandates so the money stays in the county instead of having to go to Albany first and they get redistributed. You start doing that and the only thing the state pays for is education. That's it. Straight money right to every person regardless of where they live so there's no property tax issue. Ending school tax in New York State you will see a change in our state. The reason why upstate cares so much about separating is because they believe that the cities control them. And they're right. So how about we stop that, and then they won't care. What I want us... I don't want New York City to become like Wyoming County or Washington County, and I don't want Washington County to become like New York City. I want each county to be itself. You move there for a reason. You live there for a reason. So enjoy your lifestyle that makes you happy the way you want to be happy and let other people live their lifestyle they way, they want the way they want to live and life is good. We don't have well, the that big in thing New York. Up here, 
one, well, there's a couple of big things, but the SAFE Act is a big one. I mean, yes. I live in 110 acres up here. Yep. And one of the things, and all my neighbors are on 80 to 100 and 200 acres. All right, hold on one so, second. Hold on know, one second. My entire property is 100 by 20 feet. Right. So <laughs> yes. The thing is, people yes. say up here is we got people in 700 square foot boxes in New York City controlling how we live up here. Yes. And you've just hit it perfectly. What if we didn't? You wouldn't care. So how about instead I just allow each county to be its own, to have more control over its own money, its own, its own gun laws, more control over itself, bringing as much local control as possible, then you won't care. Then you know what you'll like about New York City? You'll think about New York City, you'll think, let me go down there and watch Yankee game and visit the Empire State Building and do a Wall Street tour and go home. That'd be amazing. Come down uh, a couple months later, go to Broadway, uh, see the Freedom Tower, and take a ferry trip, and then go home. That'd be amazing. So it's economically infeasible to divide, you think? That's not going to happen. Yes, and politically. Yes, both. I think both. Well, I lived in Manhattan for 12 years, so I know both worlds. So you know. I know. Absolutely. And that brings me to my next question. I Uh worked at Columbia University, and I worked on Morningside Drive in 116th Street. You know where that is. I do. I actually ta- I've actually murder. taught at Columbia. You know about the murder yes. that happened there just recently of Tessa. I uh, can't think of her last name. But now crime has gone up 55% in one year in Manhattan. Murder rates have gone up 55%. What is going on there? And how, I mean, when I, I worked there from 98 to 2002, and, you know, it was a little sketchy then at night, but I heard it's gotten a lot worse. I mean, Morningside Drive, you know, you're in between Central Park, that between East Harlem and, and West Harlem there. That's really Thugville right through there. So well, it's a very well, dangerous place. It's better recently. Oh, well, until recently. It, it's gotten better and then got bad this year. But uh, it has gotten okay. better. Um, but, yeah, I do think you see a, a rise in violence in general, right? I don't think it's just Manhattan. I think you do find a rise in violence there, and most of it is with the youth. Most of us with the very young, right? 15, 16, 14, 19, 17. That's where you see a, a lot more violence in that regard. So I, I'm unsure why to be forward with you. I'm unsure. But my gut tells me, as always, unhappy young men means violence. A hopelessness of the future. Yes, it means violence, yeah. right? If you Absolutely. don't give, young, particularly men, women too, but nowhere near as bad. Women are t- tend to not be as violent as men. They will also do self-destructive behavior. They will, they will also do horrible things. They will, just as men will. There's no, no gender issue on that. But in violence, men are just more violent in general. That's a general rule, obviously, than women. So when you have unhappy young women, you get self-destructive behavior. When you have unhappy men, you also get self-destructive behavior, but it tends to be more violent. So no well, hope think- means self-destruction. New York, I, I, I feel, or a lot of people feel up here, is, is, is a very, you know, feminism is, is controlling New York, and every law that Cuomo puts out is catered towards women. I mean, I have no problem with women, but it's very, it, it's very different up here where you can see how it affects the society up here, where men feel ostracated. They, they feel like they're second-class citizens up here no i I, I get that feeling right and the issue is there have been a lot of changes in in the country as a whole not just new york the country as a whole there absolutely have and i remember i was at a i was at a party with a bunch of friends and where it's like a 
uh, maybe it was a cookout in the back. And, and I was talking about when I was campaigning how many people I met who supported Trump up in upstate New York. And the woman said, and the woman, all my neighbors do. Yeah, and a woman said, I don't understand. He's a bad guy. How can they support him? I don't get it. And this, of course, are all New York City people. And I said, I know you don't get it. I said, but I've traveled. I've met people. And, and I know that the average, the average Democrat thinks very much the opposite of what you think, right? The average Republican feels the way you feel. Damn feminists, right? The, the average Democrat feels looks at the Republican and goes, you know, damn bigots. They all think that. And I've been saying to both sides, these aren't true. Are there bigots who's Republicans? Yes, but there's also bigots who are Democrats. Are there feminists who are, Repu- are, are Democrats? Yes, there's feminists who are Republicans too. It, it doesn't mean they are that way. There's a stereotype that we, that we feel. But what I was trying to get to her is, think about if you're the average white male, right? The average white male. And you don't count in New York. That's how you feel. Average white men don't count in New York. That's how you feel. And, it, and what I said there is, if you're the if you're an average white male, and she said, "What does that mean?" I said, "Well, think if you're the average white male, right? What do you see around you? You have seen your friends leave to go work to, with cities. You've seen your kids have to live at home because they can't live anyplace else. If you're in a city, you've seen them live with multiple roommates that can't live on their own. You've seen kids who are highly educated to get." underemployed or, or part-time jobs and and have high debt. You've seen a bunch of your friends get addicted to, to painkillers and drugs and, and get involved in horrible things, get arrested and get their DUIs and get the family court, just destroy their families and divorced. You've watched all these things happen. You go to your government, Democrats, and go, help me. And Democrats say, well, what about gay people and immigrants? And that's what you hear. When you hear that, you go, this party's not for me. They care about gay people and immigrants. And to be fair to Democrats, they don't only care about gay people and immigrants. That's not true. However, that's the rhetoric that comes out, and that's what's heard by the average white male. And you wonder, why do so many white males not vote Democrat? That's it. They don't believe they're being heard. The rhetoric doesn't land for them. We well, to, the other thing is when the the big gun thing up here, because yep. everyone up here hunts. Yep. Okay? Everyone. And when I was in high school, at the, the parking lot was filled with guns, mm-hmm. you know, and now they have a uh, security or a resource officer at that, uh, an armed resource officer at that school that would be filled with 30 pickup trucks with three <laughs> guns in the rack. Yes, you exactly. Know? I mean, I'm 52, mm-hmm. or 51, I'll be 52 next year, so... Um, I've seen this change in America. I mean, this is no longer America. It, that, the, the America that I grew up in is over. Well, look, what I want to do is I want to allow people to live the way they want to live. I don't want right. Brooklyn, I don't I like want Brooklyn I mean, to change. I want Brooklyn to stay Brooklyn. I don't go to Brooklyn. But I don't want Brooklyn to, I don't, don't get mad at me, Brooklyn. I'm kidding. I'm teasing you. I want Brooklyn to stay Brooklyn. Absolutely. Sure. And I want Wyoming to stay Wyoming County and Washington County to stay Washington County. Absolutely. So, hey, thank you, my friend. I got to grab some of the calls. Okay, thanks, Larry. Have a good one. All right. I you think too. I'm going to I'm gonna talk about progressive. He talked about I had the right then. I'm going to talk about progressives, I think, now to get both sides of this. I'm going to grab Ramon from New York. Ramon, how are you, my friend? Ramon, are you there? 
Yeah, I'm here. Hey, what's going on? Hey, what's up, man? Uh, you're on the air with Larry. Talk to me. Oh, I'm on the air? Oh, there must be a delay. I'm watching you live, I thought, on Facebook. There, How's it going, man? There is a delay. Yes, there is. Okay. Hey, how you doing? Uh, first off, I'm uh, um, I'm in upstate New York. Uh, I am a uh, Bernie crat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm moving somewhat left here, but yep. uh, I actually, I voted for you in the gubernatorial race. I just want to start off by thanking you for giving a legitimate third-party option. Thank you, my friend. And what I've been telling people, left and right both vote libertarian. They do. I've been saying that forever. People keep telling me I'm crazy, but I see it constantly. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, you know, for people who are actually paying attention to politics closely, uh, I mean, really, Democrats, they, you can't be too happy with Cuomo. I mean, he's come to embody the very corporatism that, yes, you know, we're supposed to be against. And um, I like I liked, a libertarian friend of mine put me on to you, and uh, I started following you a lot, and um, I was listening to a lot of Cynthia Nixon stuff, too, but I mm-hmm. voted for her in the primary, but... Mm-hmm. No, I put one I, in for you in the general. I appreciate that. Thank you, my friend. That's and that's my point. Look, the reality of it is, the Libertarian Party isn't actually left or right. People always think that we are, but really, we're not. What we are is be you. Just don't force your views on others. Just be you and set up an environment for people to be able to be successful in their own way. That's the issue I'm yep. talking about. To be successful and happy in their own way. If you want to live. In a a hundred acre farm, oh my God, please do that. That's amazing. And if you want to live on a a 20 by 100 lot, live on that, man. Live on what floats (laughs) your boat and what makes you happy and what you want to do. You know, there's an advantage to being able to, you know, uh, drive a mile before you see a neighbor. And there's also advantage when you live in Queens like me, that literally your grocery store, laundromat and dentist are across the street. There's an advantage to that too. So I, I wanted to call in and ask you a couple of questions. Um, I, I've been, um, I'm really, my key focus is political strategy. Okay. Um, I feel like, uh, the, you know, messaging and uh, how, how people prepare platforms before races is really important. And, um, and now that so many more, Amer- it seems like Trump's kind of activated a lot of, uh, yep. a lot of voters, it seems, especially young people like me. Yep. Um, so I just, I, my main, my first question, I wanted to ask you, uh, what do you think the Libertarian Party's strategy should be to peel off disaffected Democrats? Look, I, I say this often, and I've been trying to do it better myself. I did not do a good enough job in my campaign, and more people have to. We've got to get better at talking to the left. We're not good at talking to the left. I try to talk to the left. I really did. The problem is— Well, I think you are. I think I you think are. I talk better. I do. I'm I'm better than most to the left, but I'm still not great. <laughs> I could be better, right? I and I'm trying to get better talking to the left. Um, and the reason is to be very full with you. And this happened in my campaign. If you were watching, when I started, and you actually mentioned it, when I started my campaign, I tried talking to the left, but the left had Cynthia Nixon in New York City. Yeah, she had all the energy. She had all that. She sucked all the energy out of the room. No one wanted to talk to Larry Sharp. We got Cynthia Nixon who's going to be our savior because, as you said, most Democrats can't stand Cuomo. They just hate Republicans right. more. So they'll vote for well, Cuomo. they're scared of them. Yeah, oh, <laughs> I sorry. don't know if they hate him. They're I think scared, they're scared of him. That, that's a valid point. Yes, yeah, sorry. I stand corrected. They're scared of Republicans more, so they vote for Cuomo anyway, even though they don't like Cuomo. When Cynthia Nixon came during my campaign, most of the left ran to her. They didn't want to talk to me. The right would talk to me much more than the left would, so I had a choice. Stay quiet. No one hears me or talk to the right. 
So I spent a lot of time talking to the right. So I got better at talking to the right because I spoke to them more. The second that right. happened is as I spoke more to the right, people started thinking that I was more right because that's who I was talking to. So when Well, and they are sort of natural allies, right? I mean, I don't think so at all. I think both are. I don't think so at all. Well, no, I I mean, I mean more on social issues. You know what I mean? Not not who is talking? Who who's talking about legalizing cannabis like onions? That's us, right? No, I love that. That's a great talking. Republicans aren't saying that. No, of course. Well, they can't. (laughs) They're not saying that. Who who's talking about bail? Real bail reform? Real criminal justice reform? Who's talking about stopping bombing people? Republicans aren't saying that. I agree. So I think we talk to both of them. It's a, the common thread is don't hurt people. That's the common thread. It's a general rule. Democrats and Republicans want to just hurt different people. Right. We're like, don't hurt anybody. How about that? Don't hurt anybody. Yep. So I think we talk to both of them. However, the media has pushed us more towards the right. And my campaign, because I couldn't talk to the left, did seem more right. But I am trying my best to talk better to the left. So to your point, we have to have better rhetoric to the left. And one of the things I use constantly is talking about fairness. The left cares about fairness tremendously. They care a lot about fairness. And libertarians often talk about things like, my rights, your rights. Which is nice, but boy, does not sound fair. It sounds selfish. I want to talk about let's make everyone have rights. All of your rights matter. It's fair for everyone. When you speak like that, the left at least opens up their minds to hearing you. So first step, better rhetoric. Second step, to get progressives in, talk about technology. Progressives and youth love technology. It's the... The mm-hmm. Andrew Yangs of the world, right? Those types. Talk tech. If we have better rhetoric and talk tech, I think we'll bring more progressives in. Yeah, that's not a bad strategy. Can, yes. I, can I ask my second question? Quickly. I'm kidding. Go ahead. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, my second question is um, kind of relating to some of the uh, – I heard some our earlier people uh, speak on this topic a little bit. Um and you, you briefly uh, touched on it there, but um, can, can you break down for me, like, what would be, how, how would you um, express the key differences, in your opinion, between today's Republican Party platform and that of your ideal Libertarian Party platform? And, and I mean this question more in relation to what I referenced earlier um, of how, you know, we're all caught up in the, the culture war. You know, I'm, I personally, you know, I'm more, I'm more economic centered on uh, especially a political strategy, because regardless of how anyone feels with, uh, you know, social issues and all that, you know, the economics is what cuts, you know, it touches everyone, whether you engage in. I'm uh, unsure that's true anymore. I'm really, and here's why I'll say say this. I was in upstate New York. I've told the story before. So those of you who watched often will have heard this story before, but it'll be fast. I was in upstate New York. I was in uh, a North country. I'm in North Country, and a farmer comes to me in an event and talks to tell me about his farm. And he says, you know, I'm going to be losing my farm. It's a six-generation farm. And I thought, oh, my God, that's horrible. And then his first question to me, what do you think it was? It wasn't, Um, how can you fix my farm? What can you do for farm? It wasn't that. The first question was, what do you think about Trump? Oh, Trump, yeah. Yes. 
And this was 2018. So whether he loved Trump or hate Trump didn't matter. Well, Trump was going to be president. To be fair, Trump, Trump was hurting farmers. To be fair, he might no, have. No, no, no. That's that. not what he meant, though. If that is what he meant, that would have made sense. It wasn't. What he wanted to know was, can he trust me or not? If I would have said, mm. Trump's terrible, can't stand him, he'd be like, I don't trust this guy. Oh, gone. like applying a litmus test to you. You got, got it. Okay. This guy was literally going to lose a six-generation farm, and culture mattered more than economics. Right. Well, so I mean, I'm I, unsure I don't know, that's I don't know still if that's true. a fair analysis. I mean, it's Trump's kind of come to embody a lot of different—he's a, he's a monster that can appear in different ways for different people. I mean, I'm not sure if that I would don't be know, a but what I'm saying is you're finding people on both sides of this of argument who simply say— I like Trump or I hate Trump, and then they vote R or D. Sure. Done. Doesn't matter whether the economy is good or bad or helps them or doesn't. They pick a side and vote that way. And then what they do instead is they then come up with excuses as to why they did it. So someone who hates Trump goes, I'm voting Democrat. And it's because of social this or so. No, they just hate Trump. Right. right or so, so, the reverse i'm voting for trump and they say because the because uh, he you know he didn't do anything or because the economy or or syria and they don't care about any of those things they just they love trump or they just hate Democrats. Right. either one so i'm not but sure this, that that's true but i guess this is why i'm saying like my um so even if you you know if that's your analysis i you know i, I take that but what i'm saying is do you I mean, you personally or again your ideal um, libertarian p platform uh, again like what kind of drew me to you was you spoke with a very uh a good sense of clarity mm -hmm. on um economics basically pertaining to the government economics like yes. spending yes you know things like that and yep. you know I, on the federal level i you know i think that there is good benefit to be had from you know universal programs and stuff but when it comes to the state and how municipalities operate no, no, let me well, let me you said let me made touch a lot of sense and that, and that that's my point i'm yeah. saying like what would you what would what do you think the platform would be to pierce that veil of how people apply the litmus test of what should my politics be based off who the pre what they're feeling is of the yeah, here's the you reality I mean? very few people read political platforms very few some do very few do the vast majority say I like that guy. I like that gal. I'm in. The vast majority do that. So do I really care about a platform? Not that much. What I care about are policies. I care about well, policies. Well, that's what I mean. I mean a collection of policies. And, and if you and notice, all my policies focused on several things. Every one of them, if you look at across the board, they were understanding that government is monopoly and monopoly is bad. Therefore, what am I trying to achieve every single time? creating a second or a secondary or tertiary way of achieving a goal or raising money or giving a service that is not only government. This way, government has two choices, get better or become obsolete. That's the goal. I never take away a, uh, a program right away. I never take away, never pull the rug out from anybody or take away the, um, the safety net right away. Why? Because then people get scared. People who are afraid make bad decisions. I don't want to make things worse. So I create a secondary option. The option I create is never a government option, which means never more taxes, 
which means always voluntary and never to use force. So everything I talk about is no new taxes and no force. That's my entire platform. More choices, no force, no new taxes. That's my platform. You have that platform? Wow, people seem to like it. How do I know that? Because both Democrats and Republicans voted for me and still support me. No force, no new taxes, better service. Come on, how can you beat that? Yeah, no, it sounds good in a soundbite. It definitely does. And everything I, I actually do, every one of my policies, does carry those three things as true. Yeah, if, and you've got some good ones. If I, you just heard about it. If you just heard me talk about my new Ellis Islands. I talked about that earlier in the the program. I talked about my my immigration uh, policy, creating two new Ellis Islands on the board, on the border. Better service, Mm -hmm. no new taxes, right? And and I don't get rid of the government. I don't get rid of the government option. There's still the regular way of doing things still exists. Not too shabby. Right, right. So, yeah, I, I think that's what was attractive to me was because you, you know, typically, ideologically, people on... Uh, where I am on the political spectrum are, you know, typically opposed to privatization of a lot of things. But I think the way that you suggest it in some areas is smart. Yes. And I don't um, privatize. Hold on. I didn't privatize. I don't privatize. The government well, options I thought you were just still suggesting ex- privatizing. No, 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 my friend. Not at all. The government agency still exists. I just create another one because monopoly is bad and it's not government. So there's no force and no taxes. It's voluntary. Better service. Well, you'd have to cut spending to fund it then, correct? Why would you? Somewhere, somewhere you'd have to take from uh, why? something. Why? Please tell me why. Well, because if tell you me... keep everything the same, you need either more revenue or to cut. No, you don't. Someone else pays <laughs> Unless you for it. you on just running deficits. No, not at all. Someone else pay. Oh, you didn't obviously didn't hear it. I said it. You, I didn't you, hear it. Yeah, I don't no know worries. the reason else. You, 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 the two LSNs get paid. Like recruiting companies, as they place people, they get paid. Literally, people are dropping billions of dollars in the black market right now to get new workers and and undocumented workers onto their farms, into their hotels, into their restaurants. Don't pay that. Instead, pay Ellis Islands. Done. No new taxes. No new nothing. No no new taxes at all. None. So wait, hold on. Hold on. Let me follow you. So you're saying. Have people recruit labor at these new Ellis Islands? Yes, they're doing it already. Except now they're doing it through human trafficking and all horrible things that we can't control at all. Now we control but them. But have it go through a government program. No. Wow. <laughs> you are such a Democrat, my friend. Absolutely not. If you Well, that's want what to, I don't get. You're yes. saying it's not private, but it's not government. I didn't say so it wasn't it? private, but you said privatize. Privatize well, means you, uh, I'm yeah, taking you're privatizing a... a a sector of the immigration uh, apparatus. N- not at all. What What's happening is I'm adding. If When you say privatize, <laughs> here is what a Democrat I'm not assumes. I just, you know. That's no, some, no, no. This is important. jujitsu there. It is not. It's very important because when you say privatize, what the average person thinks is I'm selling off government assets to the private sector. I am not doing that. The government retains all of its assets, everything. The new thing that is built is built by a private company on their own with their own money. So I'm not privatizing right. anything. That is incorrect. It is not the right at all. It's not right. It's not the right term. Well, it's a bit of a semantic argument. I mean, you could argue that you could say, oh, well, charter schools aren't private. 
No, but, the, the, no, no, no. The, if, if are you saying we? Hold, no, it is not. I'll give you the perfect example. We have one already. Ready? We have one. Okay. FedEx. The, is the post yes. office privatized? No, the post office still exists. We just added FedEx and we added UPS. That's not sure, privatizing. Sure, package, package package delivery isn't something that the president sets policy on like immigration that's a bit of a stretch uh, what are you talking about the post office is in the constitution my friend what are you talking about right but but the, the job that they perform that was i mean arguably when that was started i mean the the nature of with amazon and everything the game has changed that's not the same thing and immigration, immigration hasn't changed the game hasn't changed yeah come on now you low, are stretching cer certainly not at the same volume as Package delivery and letters have. What do you do? What? What? There were like what? Ten million Americans when the Constitution was written. Now there's three hundred thirty. Of course it has. Of course it has. Yeah, sure. But the basic concept, the concept of that is the government can grow and um, uh, to to handle the influx of immigration. Now, if you're talking no, about no, it can't. We, need... we have twelve million undocumented workers here. Clearly, that's untrue. You've just made that up. That's obviously not true. I didn't obviously make up a true. number. You just said that. <laughs> okay, so how many other? 10 million? I didn't say a number. I don't have that information on hand. I do. It's somewhere between 10 and 12 million. I do have those information. Okay, so so they're going to process people here? I thought you were saying people coming. Yes, but no, once you create the Ellis Islands, they can now, people who are here, when you have a moment, it was early in the show. Listen to that okay. part of the show. I gave the details of the entire thing. Yes, it is actually a way of doing it. Without privatizing anything, I am adding, not subtracting. The government doesn't lose anything. If the government You're contracting. Not at rather. all. No. Because <laughs> the government's not paying Come for on, it. Larry. Come on. No, no. The government <laughs> does the government pay for FedEx? No, 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 no. Does the government pay for FedEx? That's apples and oranges, though. No, That's it isn't. You are completely my my friend, you are too much thinking government's the only answer. I love you're you. You're talking about something I the am executive so glad branch that you has called almost in. complete control over and comparing it to package delivery. I'm comparing any service to another service. And you know who actually does all the services? Human beings. That's it. Sure. Whether, whether the president shakes his fist at them or whether Jeff Bezos shakes his fist at them, it's still just people doing a job. <laughs> That's all it is, my friend. Government is See, not this magic. This is why I like you because you do. You got the rhetoric down, man. I, I really not think rhetoric. I hope you keep running. It's true. I hope you keep running. You, you're very charismatic. Oh, I you like can, that. You Thank can you. tell a good tale, and you know you're honest. At least you know, and that's one of the biggest things I think that you could be a superstar in the Libertarian Party because you. The, the biggest thing, like people, I heard you making your analysis earlier of Bernie and Trump, mm -hmm. and um, you were you were correct on everything you said. But yep. I think the biggest thing that you didn't necessarily hit on is not only are they outsiders, yep. but they tell people the truth about who they 100%. are. 100%. Yes. So that, and, not, and not just them themselves, but they tell the American people the truth about what they think about them. I agree. Absolutely. In my opinion, Trump with his, uh, you know, a lot of <laughs> the illegalities he's been uh, uh, performing in office is telling us the truth of what he thinks about us is that we're, you know, idiots. And, you know, Bernie tells people the truth about how he feels about them and thinks that they deserve to be cared for. And whether people agree oh, with either one of those sweet. things. sweet. Look how you did that. That was sweet. I, I can tell yeah, you're a I Bernie mean, guy. I can tell you're yeah, a Bernie I am. guy. But it could, all comes from a place of love, brother. But, but, but could you have thought that, Bert, that Bernie might be saying, I think you're not smart enough to take care of yourself? 
Um, no, I don't think that. Um, I think I that. I didn't think you would think that. I think that's government's, you know, function is to take care of the people who pay taxes to keep them safe. I, I, I love that feeling. Sadly, when I was a Marine and I took the same oath the president took, the oath I took was to defend and protect the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I did not take mm-hmm. an oath to defend every American. Neither oh, the, no, I understand. Neither the president. So I've never actually sure. thought that was true. Sure. Friend, I don't mean the actual constitution. I'm, I'm talking about just, you know, the general concept of government. But I know y'all, I probably went too long, man. It was good talking to you. I'm glad. Please call again. I got to grab some more people. Please call again. All right. How are, when are you on? I'm on every Monday night, 8 to 10. All right, cool. I'll call in again. Have a good one. All right. I I think I'm going to stay in New York again. Someone's asking about what we can do uh, in regards to troubled youth. Oh, that is an interesting one. I like that. I'm back to New York again. I'm talking to James in New York. James, how are you, my friend? James, are you there? Yes. Talk to me. It's Larry Sharp. You're on the air. Yeah, Larry. How's it going? It is going. What's going on? Hey, I got a quick question for you. Okay. You you talked earlier in the show a little bit about the the youth that we have and the problems that we're having. Yep. And I want to know what is there that we can do today to help the youth today. Yes, this is a great question. With, My God, it's a great question. Without the government involvement. Yes. The number one thing that young people want without question is purpose. It's purpose. They want to feel like there is something that they're going to do or be part of or pushing forward with or something like that because purpose creates two things. It creates a goal and it also creates community and they really want that. And what we often don't do, what we often do is instead of this, we tell youth, Just do these things. That's not purpose. We say go to school, get good grades, uh, go to college, pass a test, get a job. That's not purpose. This is why you see people, young particularly, so eagerly jump up and jump on almost any bandwagon community purpose thing that may even seem crazy because we're not giving them Enough of that. Now, purpose can be something as simple as when I was a kid, I, was, uh, I think for myself, I was lucky. When I was a youngster, I always wanted to join the military. I, want, I originally actually wanted to be in the army. I wanted, to, I wanted to be a soldier, not a Marine. I wanted to becoming a Marine, but I actually wanted to be a soldier. In my eyes, that was my purpose. And when I became a Marine, I had purpose. That's what I believed. And when I got out, I became a teacher, and that was my purpose. So I kept finding purpose, which gave me happiness, which made me not want to go off and do crazy things as much. It's a little bit still. I was a young man still. But as a general rule, the more you give people purpose, the less they're going to want to hurt each other. And I, this could be as simple as, okay, do you want to, for example, um, be a doctor and save people? Right. My, my older daughter is considering being an EMT. That's purpose she's popped up with, right? If I'm going to yeah. send my kid to college, what colleges are they going to and for what? Do you want someone to take over a family business? That's a purpose. Do you want do you want someone to go off and help people? That's purpose. Do you want them to build something? That's purpose. Represent us. That's purpose. 
So I know that's hard, but this goes back actually to my original idea today, which was control versus acceptance. One of my, um, my, my daughters has a, a um, tutor, and the tutor came in and told my daughter, she said, if you don't know what you want to do, don't go to college. If you're not going to go to a specialty college, don't waste your time going to college. I regret going to college the way I did. Getting educated for education's sake, this is what the tutor said, is a complete waste of money and time. And I've been telling my daughter this. She's 15 now. I've been telling my daughter this for, for years. Don't go to college because your mom or someone else tells you to go to college. Don't put yourself in a debt for nothing. Go to college because you know what you want to start in your career off. You're going to have multiple careers in your life, right? You're not going to have one. You're going to have multiple. So mm-hmm. what's, what's your first career going to be? If you know what it's going to be, go to school for that. If you know what it's going to be, it doesn't require school, don't go to school. Go to school later in life. Go to school when you're 20 or 30 or 40. Who cares when you go? Go to school when you know when what you want to achieve requires that college degree. So purpose is the key. And then once they have purpose or mission, now start telling your kids, okay, you want this thing? Here's how you get this thing. Do these steps to get this thing and they'll care. Does that make sense? Yeah, except back to my question again, what can I do now? A little story that's behind my questioning and my thinking. Tell me, please. Is there was a double, a double hop homicide local here, which is totally unheard of out here in the countryside. Mm-hmm. It was a 17-year-old killed his father and his mother. Yep. I don't believe it. The boy did actually come out and say, I killed my dad, but it was after dad killed mom. Mm-hmm. So this is a 17-year-old. What is going through that boy's, I'm going to call him a boy, mm-hmm. what is going through that boy's mind now as he sits in jail awaiting trial? I mean, he's not, I don't think he's a bad boy. Well, let me give you two things here. Let's assume for a moment that what he said was true. I don't know. I wasn't there. We're talking for the sake of argument. Let's assume that he saw his father kill his mother. If that actually happened, do you blame the 17-year-old boy for killing his father? No. I wouldn't either. I, I wouldn't either. I'm telling you the truth. I would not. You may think I'm crazy. But if, but if what he said is true, and again, I don't know that, for the sake of argument, if he watched his father kill his mother and he kills his father, I'd be like, that's all good. We're good. Why'd you even arrest him? That's where I would be. That's where my head, oh, it's fine. I, I get it. You're 17. You just watched your mother be murdered, and you murdered the guy who killed your mother. Eh, I'm okay with that. That, that. You may think I'm crazy, but that's what I would think. But let's assume he didn't. Let's assume he's lying, and he killed both of his parents. If a 17-year-old boy killed both of his parents, this is your, your point that I think you're bringing. What drives a 17-year-old boy to kill his parents? Either they were horrible parents, in which case, I don't know why I didn't leave because most young boys just run away, right? Most would, assuming that, uh, again, I don't know these families at all, so I have no idea what's true. But if they're horrible parents, most 17-year-old boys just, would just run away. So why would he kill them? They would have, had to done, would have had to do something horrible to him for him to want to revenge kill both of his parents. Am I making sense so far? Yeah. Or he, or he just thought, Everything is useless. I'm going to kill all of us. 
and then he chickened out before he turned the gun on himself. That, to me, seems like, in today's world, a more common answer. Okay. A more common answer in today's world, and I'm going to be very clear one more time. I don't know the family. I have no idea what happened. I'm just saying a more common thing that happens in today's world is mass killings of any type are public suicides. They believe there's nothing else. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Blow it all away. So what so, can so what so what, what can you do? Rest- yeah, I'm going to tell you what you can do. When you meet all those young people, whoever they are, talk with them and give them hope. Talk with them about what they're trying to do. And here's the most important thing. It's going to sound crazy. Don't give them answers. Instead, move them to understand that the responsibility for answers are in them. That's not easy to do. But as you talk to them and start asking them, what are you going to do? Why? What's the first step? What'd you like? What'd you not, what'd you not like? You know what I did? You could try this. What do you think about that? What's your feeling on this? You have to decide something. Those types of questions that will challenge the youth, teenagers, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, you will watch them start saying, you know what? I should do that. You know what? I could do that. You know what? I will do that. And when someone has hope and purpose like that, they don't shoot their parents. They don't shoot their friends. They don't shoot their school up. They don't shoot themselves. And it doesn't have to be something big. I remember this is a, it was a, a story I've told before. If you've watched the show, you may have heard it before about a veteran. I used to do a lot of work with veterans. I don't do as much now since the campaign. I've, I've really almost stopped, and I know I should get back into it, but I keep saying it, and I keep having excuses, but I didn't need to get back into it. But when I used to spend time trying to mentor veterans, I had one veteran who, as I was trying to talk to him about you know, why he can't get going, why he can't find the job, what's going on, I was saying, hey, give me some success stories about what you guys have achieved. This guy was one of the hardest guys to get a success story out of. And I finally got one out of him. And when he gave me a success story, a success story was, you know, I saved a guy's life, a life once. And I thought, my God, what an amazing success story. You saved the guy's life. That's awesome. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but, you know, it's just doing my job, blah, blah, blah. And here's the best part. You know what the guy wanted to be? A security guard. No idea. He wanted to be a security guard. Do you think if you were a hiring manager and you wanted to hire some guy to be a security guard, you'd want to know that he had saved the guy's life? That would kind of be an important piece of data you'd want to have if you're hiring a security guard. Mm-hmm. And he thought, I could never be a security guard. I'm not joking because I don't have experience. That's what he said to me. I can't be a security guard because I don't have experience. So he had lost hope. And so he was in a shelter. And all I had to say was, do you know if I was a hiring manager, I'd kind of want to know that you had saved the guy. That would be an important data point for me. That literally, as a security guard, you had already done what security guards are supposed to do. That changed his outlook on everything. He had hope. He was like, I could do this. Things change when people have hope. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah I just think it's, it, I, it's a big shame that we're putting a 17-year-old at the prime of his life in prison and not giving him any hope. 
Yes, and this is when you probably heard me speak a lot about this. We don't have a justice system. We have a punishment system. That's what we have. If we had a justice system, we'd have to figure out why the hell is a 17-year-old boy killing both his parents, assuming he killed both his parents. I'm not sure he did, obviously. But we don't. We go kid with, with weapon to dead bodies, off the jail you go, we'll ask questions later. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. How do I know that? Literally today, I helped get a guy out of jail. Last week, helped get a guy out of jail. I do this often. Government arrests people, ask questions later. Arrest them, ask questions later. We have to stop this idea. You're totally correct. It isn't enough to punish. It's, it's, it's Gandhi, right? An eye for an eye, and we all go blind. That's what Gandhi well, said. If, if we look at the justice system, this boy has a $100,000 bail on him. Mm-hmm. If, the, if he is truly such a bad guy, why would you put a bail on him? And if there is a bail on him, isn't, wasn't that bail put on him just to make money? Well, but here's the worst part. Who is he a danger to? He killed his parents. They're dead. Who was he can't kill, was he going to kill anybody else? Does he have another set of parents someplace? So assuming that you believe he killed his parents, assuming you believe that, who, who is he a danger to? Unless he has multiple parents someplace that I don't know about, assuming you believe that. And is he going to is he going to leave now? Does he now own his parents' uh, a fa- farm, I guess, right now? Does he own that now? So he has property and land. What's he going to do, run off to Canada? And if he has $100,000 yeah. bail, you're saying, we don't mind if he runs off to, Cal- to Canada, just give us $100,000. Yep. So you're literally saying, we don't care if he kills his parents. We don't care if he runs off to Canada. We just want $100,000. I completely agree with everything you, ju- everything you just said. I completely agree. Yeah, I appreciate your answer. It's it's it's. Uh, I've I've thought of that so much the last months since that happened, and I can't get rid of the thought of something needs to be done for this guy. Yes, I, I completely agree. And if if you care about this guy, and if you think he's right, I'll give you a little bit of of advice. Whenever he has a court date, if you find out, have people from the community show up in his defense. That will matter. Okay. If you really think that he didn't do it, if your community believes that, again, I don't know, but if your community believes he didn't do it at every court date, have people from your community show up. Literally be in the courtroom supporting him, even though he's theoretically, I guess, going to be on trial for murder, I assume. I actually did think of contacting my lawyer and asking him, if there's a way that I can get in contact with this guy, just because I think he should have someone. Yes, um, he should. He should have a public defender. I assume you can get a hold of public oh, yeah, defender. He does. Yes, so you can get a hold of his public defender. Okay, that's how yep. you do it. Are we good? That's good. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Appreciate my friend. Your time. Have a good day. All righty. All right, a Hi. quick, a quick um, email. I'm sorry, uh, a quick from the internet. I have um, Tony says I didn't go to college and get degrees in the field which I work. Back then, it was more important to have a degree than to have it in my field. 
I'm not sure what that means. Oh, I got it. You just had to have a degree. It didn't matter what field it was in. That is true. It used to be that way. When I was younger, it was that way too. Having a college degree was a big deal. Now it's like, eh, another college degree. If it's not in exactly the, the, the way um, that we want it, then it doesn't kind of work. Anyway, um, let me move on if I could. I get back to the phones if I could. I'm talking about, talking about free speech this time. I don't know where this is coming from. We'll see. Going to be talking about free speech. Michael in New York. This is just a New York kind of day. Um, Michael in New York, how are you? Michael, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Talk to me. It's Larry Sharp. You on the air? I know, Larry. It's good to see it, hear you, and I'm looking at you at the moment as well. Oh, it's Michael Voss. How are you, sir? That's right. It's me. There we go. Didn't know what's going on. Former guest. That's right. Yes. And I wanted to break some. Well, it probably will be breaking news to a lot of your listeners, but I think it's going to be a big. First Amendment battle coming up. Okay. Um, are you familiar with the attacks that happened at Binghamton University? I don't Southern think so. Tell me. Okay. Uh, about a month ago, there was a couple of Binghamton University college students, so libertarians and conservatives. They were promoting Art Laffer, Dr. Art Laffer, the mm-hmm. economist. Yep. Coming onto the show. Okay. They were coming out. He was coming out. He was going to be a speaker. Okay. And Turning Point USA has a chapter at Binghamton University, yep. official. They were out there, too. So what so happened? A group of progressives saw that, mm-hmm. sent out a text, and called together 200 students who are progressives to attack those three. As in to physically not, attack? Is that what you're saying? To physically attack? No, no, not intimidation. Ah, okay, got it. Thank you. Okay. Okay, and that's specifically what they were saying in text that have been reported by news media. Gotcha. Okay. That then led to, that was a big, huge thing. Okay. And then that then led to, uh, on Dr. Laffer showing up three days later, uh, he was shut down by the heckler's veto from an organization called Progressive Leaders of Tomorrow, otherwise known as PLOT. Yeah, no, no, I've heard now, this stuff before. This is basically cancel culture. Yes, it is cancel culture. Yeah, That's I get right. you. Yeah. Now, look, the, the issue oh. I think we're finding here is I think there is going to be a backlash against this eventually. But I don't think the time is now yet. I don't think it's gotten bad enough to when the backlash is going to hit yet. And my judgment of this is progressives here in New York City. I am finding some people who are Democrats in New York City who are saying things like, damn liberals. I'm getting some people who are saying that here in New York City, and I think it's Wait. starting to happen. But I don't think Whoa, we're but- there yet. I think there has to be a, a tipping point, and I don't think we're there yet to where people are going to be like, what is going on? What's happening well, now, I don't know if you've noticed, the studio that I'm in now is, is uh, Gas Digital, right? The studio that I'm physically in right yeah. now. And you've been here before. You know it. Um, mm-hmm. This studio is, I think, actually a response to cancel culture. And there are many like it, where people now, instead of going out into the public, create their own uh, kind of worlds behind a paywall so they can't be canceled by the booers and the hecklers. So as that begins to happen more and more, we kind of refracture media. And I think what ends up happening is it actually slows down the point, that tipping point, wherever it is, 
to where there is a backlash. So I think your point's a valid one. I don't think we're oh, there but yet. Well, oh, but I think we are because what's going to happen in January as part of the New York State budget, according to Assemblyman Doug Smith, who I've spoken with, okay. is that we're going to see that the university, which has decided to take the position to attack the conservative students on this issue, mm-hmm. is now going to be challenged by government saying, okay, do you deserve funding? In addition, just on Saturday, mm-hmm. President Trump was speaking with uh, Lacey Kestiger, one of those students who was involved in not only that incident, but a prior incident as well that I covered. Okay. And he addressed this, and this brings into uh, account the bill by President Trump that if universities are not promoting free speech, they will lose funding from the federal government. So what we're seeing in New York... So maybe there is a bit of backlash already. Oh, yeah, and this is a breakthrough moment because, and here's the question, should should we see government address and take away funding from every student in a university because of a cancel culture of progressives that has reached a federal, not only just state level, but the highest level of the federal government in the executive branch here with the president. And this is what we're seeing that is poised to start happening in January. Well, not a lot of people are talking about it. I am. No, but I, I, I get you. And I think there could, you know what? I, there would be a good and a bad to that much of a pendulum swing, right? Mm-hmm. As you know, that's what often happens, right? It swings so far left, then it swings so far right, then it swings so far left, then it swings so far right. right. Um, the good and the bad could be it could actually wake people up to what's happening. So it might be a good thing. I think we got to see. I, I'm, I'm, I think the jury's out on this one because just because the laws are, are, are coming doesn't mean they'll be enforced or they'll actually work. I think we'll have to see. It's a, it's a good point, though. I'm glad you brought it up. Michael, let the people know where they can meet you. Where can they see you? Uh, they can just check out No Sound Bites Allowed on YouTube. That's me. There we go. All right. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate the call. Thank you. Have a good one. All right. Um, I want to get out of New York. I'm heading over to St. Louis. Yes, Missouri. Did I say it right, you Missouri people, or is it Missouri? I like Missouri. Sounds cool. So I'm going to call it Missouri. Heading over to St. Louis, Missouri. We're talking about third parties. We're going to be talking to Jim from St. Louis. Jim, are you there? I don't think I have Jim. Jim's playing music. You just made my daughter laugh. Well done, Jim. And I think I've lost Jim. Okay, I've lost Jim. No worries. Jim wanted to play the Spanish guitar, which is wonderful. Uh, Thank you, Jim, for that lovely music. You made my daughter laugh. Well done. So why don't you guys show my daughter laughing real fast? She is giggling on this one, and it's kind of cute. You made her laugh. Well done, Spanish guitarist Jim. All right. I will then change. I'll shift. I will head over to uh, Jesse. Jesse is wants to talk more about impeachment. Impeachment's a big deal today, isn't it? All right. I guess we'll grab Jesse then instead. Uh, talking about impeachment. Jesse from Idaho. Jesse, how are you? Uh-oh. Jesse, you there or are you going to play Spanish guitar for me? <laughs> Jesse? Hey, Larry. Oh, okay. You are there. Good. How are you, sir? I'm here. Doing good. Uh, 
So the reason I was uh, calling you is because I wanted to uh, ask a question about impeachment. Okay. And I want to start by saying, like, I, I believe that there have been uh, corrupt things done by Trump in office, and we could list off a bunch of things like funding Saudi Arabia for the war in Yemen or continuing unwarranted surveillance of everyone. Okay. But when we talk about uh, Russiagate and Ukraine Gate, okay. I think that they have both been propped up by the, you know, quote-unquote intelligence community, which is, you know, the unelected deep state of our government. Okay. And the articles of impeachment that have been uh, put forward are not, in my opinion, legitimate reasons to impeach Trump. Okay. I voted for Johnson in 2016. Oh, thank you. And I'm probably going to vote for a third party again in 2020, but I've been super disappointed with the Libertarian Party because I saw that the chairman, Nick Sarwark, has said that the party is in favor of the impeachment. And I think that we all know that Russiagate was started by the Steele dossier, funded by the DNC and the Clintons, and Ukrainegate was all started because uh, Trump exposed Joe Biden as the one who withheld aid to Ukraine because of uh, well, let, let me cover. Let, let me cover a couple and, uh, pieces. Just the last thing I want to say is okay. just that you know there's a lot of problems with Trump, but I've been extremely disappointed how the Libertarian Party has reacted to this. I would hope that they would have had a little more constitutional principle. There is a you use a lot there. I want to try to grab whatever uh, different pieces of that. The first piece. Thank you for voting Gary Johnson. That's awesome. Um, I hope you're able to vote third party again next year. That'd be amazing. Um, the next piece, I talked earlier, I don't know if you were on the line, I talked about impeachment earlier and why I thought it actually happened. And if you have a chance to listen to the earlier part of the show, please do so. But I talked about the idea that impeachment, the reason why I don't talk much about it is because I really don't think, and people will be upset about me uh, at me when I say this, I think it was about what was politically expedient for all sides. I think Democrats just thought, okay, if we do this, we have a better chance of winning our seats in our, you know, we've done the polling that will work in our uh, districts. And I think they're right. The poll results of 2019 show that, I mean, the voting results of 2019 show it's correct. And I think Dem Republicans said, if we support uh, Trump on this, then we're going to be able to, to have better chance of winning our seats. So I think most of it was about that and not about other things, which is why I didn't bother talking about it. As far as our chair uh, saying that the party is for impeachment, all I can say is if I was the chair, I would not have made a statement at all because I don't think right. it was really valid at all in any way at all, which is or even important, which is why I made no statement on it myself. Because, look, I mean, I, I, I went over it earlier, but the idea is I, I actually am not as concerned with whether or not Trump did something bad or not. If I want to impeach Trump and you also want to impeach all the other presidents before him, yep, I'm in. Impeach them all. Every one of them. Right. Every one of them. And remove them all. Every one of them. I'm in. Right. I, I just don't think it's very fair for the establishment to point out Trump when we know that almost every single president that has existed has done something unconstitutional. They've taken us into wars. Uh, and, you know, now that the Afghanistan papers are coming out, uh, there's no talk of that in Congress. Nobody cares that Bush and Cheney pushed us into that. Well, I, I don't think that any any other president now is going to, or your view on any of the president now is going to help any current um, legislator get elected. And I think that was the most critical piece here was, did they think they could get elected 
or not it would help them stay elected. I think that's the critical piece. So that's my piece. Right. I hope that was kind of clear. I, I don't know if it was the, the right answer or not, but I, I, I hope it was good. Yeah, no, I, I think you uh, got most of my points cleared up. I just think that uh, I think what you said, that the Libertarian Party should have no stance on it either way, because like you said, so many presidents have done impeachable things that it shouldn't just be on Trump. And um, and and uh, the the most important piece is we already know what's going to happen, right? We we knew right. what was going to happen six months ago. We knew that the the House was going to impeach him, and the Senate's going to do nothing. I could have told you that six months ago. So right. instead, now what do we do? We go through months and months of of back and forth on TV. People get really cool sound bites that they can use for their campaign commercials, and that's about it. Yeah, that's all. And it puts me in a weird position. I don't want to be the one defending Trump. I, I don't want to uh, have to agree with what's going on with that. But it's just so ridiculous that it's it's a fight between Trump and the Democratic establishment. And you know, it's it's a flip of a coin here. It, you got to pick one of the sides there. I fe- I feel it's, I'm not picking just, a uh, side, my friend. I'm not. Right. It, it doesn't, mean, doesn't mean anything. I don't pick a side. Yeah. So anyway, thank you for the call, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All righty, have a good night. Guys, did you enjoy the show? Thank you, bud. Did you guys like what you saw? Awesome? Then do me a favor and support this show. Head on over to patreon.com slash sharpway and give some money. Josie, should they give us some money? Do it. Do it is what she says. Give us the money. We need it. Listen to Josie. She's right. Help us out. $9, $28, $48, whatever it is. My daughter says do it. You got to do it. I want to say thank you so much for joining me this evening. I will see you all next week here on The Sharp Way.